we're in a sermon series through up to Easter called Created in God's Image, um, Finding One's Place in the Cosmos. And we've been looking at different um, components and aspects of what it means to be creating God's image. We've, we've looked at um, what it means to have a body in relationship with God's image. We've looked about what it means to, to work, to be created for work in God's image. And uh, today we look at the theme of what it, to, that uh, to be created in God's image is to be created male and female. Um, our text this morning are selections from Genesis 1 and 2. So hear God's word to us. Genesis 1 first. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And from Genesis 2, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to livestock, all the livestock, and to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The word of the Lord. Thanks. Father, we pray your, your light and illumination this morning on a, a topic which is um, very complicated, um, very divisive, and um, hard to talk about increasingly, not only within the public square, but also even within the church. So we pray for truth and we pray for um, compassion and understanding. Lord, help us to see that you are our creator and you created us good. Help us to understand what it means to live in fallen and broken bodies under the curse, only redeemed in Jesus Christ. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Essential be to be created in the image of God is that we bear in our bodies sexual difference as male and female. Again, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. To affirm sexual difference as male and female in relationship to the image of God 
is to affirm a couple things. First, it is to affirm the goodness of sexual difference. Being male and female is part of God's original design of a creation that he called good. Second, it means that sexual difference is not incidental or secondary for how we uh, experience our humanity. Being male or female is central to how we experience what it means to be human, um, the way we relate in the world as embodied creatures. Now I realize that uh, such a claim has become very controversial in our culture, especially in the light of the emergence of transgender movement. More and more people um, question even the idea that people are born either as male or female. And many now speak of sexual difference not as a biological reality, but as a social construct, something that is assigned to us at birth. And the outcome of this kind of thinking is to deconstruct the categories of male and female as normative kind of patterns for how society is ordered. <clears throat> now, I realize this is a very divisive topic, politically speaking. It is also a very complicated topic, not just theologically and philosophically, but also biologically. Um, and most importantly, it is an issue in which real people, in their lives, their sense of themselves and their identities are at stake. Many people who identify as trans persons experience very profound uh, gender dysphoria, which means they experience a mismatch between their biological sex and their gender identity. And I can't sort of get into that um, this morning, but I want to recognize that that is an issue. Um, but as I explore the meaning of being created male and female, I want to be sensitive to just the difficulty of it, that I can't say everything this morning. I'm not at all interested in making uh, any political points. My goal is simply to clarify, to clarify biblical teaching about being male and female um, in a pastorally sensitive way. So the conversation about being male and female must begin with the reality that our created bodies are a gift from God. Sexual difference as male and female is an essential part of the character of that gift. To be created in the image of God is to be an embodied creature with a biologically sexed body. And as I argued a couple weeks back, um, central to our identity as image bearers is that we have bodies, right? Bodies are not incidental um, to who we are as persons. The body isn't like Tupperware. It's not a container for my true self in which I could switch in and out. It's not an avatar. And what that means, as I argued a couple weeks back, is that to come to know ourselves as true selves is to attend to the givenness of my body in its particular concreteness and its context, right? And to turn away from my body, my embodied existence as a creature, is to turn away from myself as one created by God. Now, the, what does it mean exactly to claim that God created humans as male and female in his image? Um, what is the content of that, right? 
Uh, I want you to look back at the Genesis 1 text, starting in verse 127. So God created man, and the word man there is ha-adam, and it's, a, it's, a, it, it's actually inclusive of male and female, ha-adam. God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Now, first and foremost, we need to see that this is not a statement about gender identity or gender roles, but rather biological sex. The Hebrew word here for male and female, zakar and nekeba, are the same words that are used of the animals as they're brought onto the ark in pairs to repopulate the earth um, in order to, after the flood, to repopulate the earth, right? And so it's the same words used here of male and female with respect to human beings. It's in reference is biological sexes in view here. Because for that is, is what is required to actually fulfill what God has commanded to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. So the command to reproduce would not make much sense if biological sex was not the thing in view. Now, here's where we need to make a very important distinction. There is a difference between sex and gender. There's a difference between sex and gender. These are not the same thing. Sex refers to what differentiates male and female from one another biologically. So biological sex, as male or female, comes down to four differences between men and women. The presence or the absence of a Y chromosome, internal reproductive organs, external sexual anatomy, and an endocrine system that produces hormones which lead to secondary sex characteristics, right? So facial hair for men, right, is, an, is one of those secondary characteristics. Sex then refers to the biological categories that apply to all species that reproduce sexually. This is different from gender. Gender speaks of the specific ways in which being male and female is culturally expressed and understood in a particular context. It's the psychological, social, and cultural experience of being uh, male or female. So, and this is what's the key distinction. Gender is socially constructed. Gender is socially constructed. Sexual difference is not. This is a very important distinction. The biblical affirmation that we are created male and female is an affirmation of sex difference not an affirmation of gender roles and identity. The task to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, have dominion, subdue the earth, is given to both sex. There's no differentiation there between who does what. Now, by no means would I deny that there is a relationship and interaction between the reality of biological sex and the way that gender gets expressed within society. The ordering of human civilization across history has always reflected the biological reality of sex difference of male and female. There's never been a human culture 
whose ordering did not in some way recognize this fundamental biological difference and then develop culture and order society around this. However, the ways it has been expressed across time and through cultures has varied quite greatly. Gender identity and gender expression of male and female has always been a moving target between cultures and periods of history. It is possible to make generalizations and to see things, interconnections, but you can never speak of these things in absolute terms, only in very generic terms. And I think this should give us a lot of pause when it comes to making strong generalizations about gender difference and setting up rigid gender stereotypes. To be male and female is to inhabit the world differently. It is to inhabit the world differently. And this is because we're different biologically speaking. We have different hormones running through us. But it's also because we are socialized into being male and female, and we experience the world in different ways. But we must be circumspect and modest when it comes to generalizing about the content of gender difference and trying to describe the essence of maleness or the essence of femaleness, and then turning these into social ideals to which we kind of have to live up to or pursue. Permit me to deconstruct um, biblically a common gender stereotype that many Christians, especially in the past 30 years, 40 years, have embraced as a spiritual ideal. And that is the notion that masculinity equals being assertive, taking initiative, while being feminine means being passive or more passive and being receptive. It's the idea that man is the protector and the provider and the woman is the comforter and the nurturer. Now, the problem with this is that it seems to be challenged by the very first interaction between a man and a woman in human history. The woman is created it's as Adam's helpmate. And we think about that word helpmate and we think of it as a diminutive term. It is not. It is used of God in his relationship to Israel as providing assistance. The woman is created to provide something that Adam did not have. He receives something from her, right? She's giving him something. And even Adam's sort of utterance and response when he sees the woman uh, reflects this. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. He is receiving her as something that is missing in him to be part of his life. So to be a recipient, to be receptive, is not necessarily to be feminine. It is simply to be human. And you could say the same thing about be, taking initiative, right? <laughs> it is to be human. Now, the same diversity that you see in, in cultures across time and, and, and that, you see in the Bible itself. The Bible doesn't have one account of gender uh, expression around male and female. And, and this should not surprise us. It is a book written over the, the span of 1,500 years in multiple different kinds of cultures. So in the Bible, you see women who are being assertive and men being passive. Think about King David. King David submits to Saul, but he also submits to his wife Abigail's judgment about a decision. Or think of Zipporah, the wife of Moses. She asserts um, a very critical leadership moment and circumcises their son because of Moses' failure to do so and so saves their family from death. Think of Rahab, the woman, 
who offers uh, protection uh, to two Israelite spies as they were in Jericho. In the Gospels, it is said that the women are providing financially for Jesus so he can continue his ministry. In the book of Judges, you have women like Deborah and Judith and Jael who are regarded as warriors of Israel and in some cases actually take the lives of other human beings. Jesus often speaks a great deal about gentleness and meekness and humility, all traditionally feminine virtues. In his passion, he becomes a passive recipient of suffering instead of being a warrior who fights back like Peter. See, the diversity of gender expression and culture and even in the Bible itself makes it very, very difficult for us to build out a sort of masculine ideal or a feminine ideal about what, is, what becomes normative for all times and places. And this is not, again, a denial that men and women are different. It's just very complicated. And the Bible doesn't orient us towards being men and women that way. And I think this should be a caution to us. We should be very wary of creating or embracing gender-based spiritualities in which we kind of set up these spiritual ideals for what it means to be a man or a woman. When the Bible speaks to men and women, it does not give us the essence or character qualities of being a man or a woman. It does give us instructions on our mutual roles and responsibilities as male and female within the family and within the church. And it does this for the sake of unity and peace in a sinful world in which even the relationship between male and female is under the curse. And there's fundamental conflict all the time. The instructions we find in the New Testament, especially in the verse you heard read from Ephesians 5, on the one hand, reflect God's original designs of creation but at the same time also embrace certain cultural accommodations to the social context, right? And sometimes these are hard to sort out. And I don't have time to do that this morning for you. But the point is this, it's very difficult, even from those passages, to derive something like the essence of what it means to be a woman or the essence of what it means to be a man. The Bible recognizes that there is a real and ineradicable difference between being male and female. We don't need to pursue it, it just will happen because that's our nature. It never calls you to masculinity, it never calls you to femininity, it calls you to Christ-likeness. If you want to be a real man, it's the same way you become a real woman. Follow Jesus. It's the same for both. And this will be expressed very differently between females from, from another and us from males. Now, I hope you can appreciate how when we set up very specific cultural bound expressions of male and female gender stereotypes, how difficult it is for certain people um, who don't feel like they fit them, how hard it is for them as they experience their own sense of self as men and women. So if being a girl means playing with dolls and you don't like playing with dolls, does that mean you're not a girl? I mean, if, if, if being a boy means roughhousing and liking sports, but as a boy you don't like to roughhouse in sports, does that, that mean you're not a real boy? No. <laughs> those, are gender those are gender expressions. 
It, doesn't, it has nothing to do with whether you're a man or a woman. You know, these are very, you know, simple examples, but you could add all kinds of things to this. I think it's important that we recognize that this is part of what fuels many people's struggle with gender identity, is how our culture, and especially the church, sets up very narrow and restrictive and time-bound um, expressions of being male and female. And sometimes people, they internalize these. They internalize these stereotypes and yet they don't fit them. And then they feel deeply alienated from their own bodies because of that. Do you see? I mean, this is so important. Now, I think a very similar problem afflicts um, a lot of transgender thinking. See, there is a failure, there's, there's a failure there as well to clearly distinguish between gender and sex. The traditional culture confuses gender, um, confuses sex and gender by improperly treating cultural expressions of, of male or female as if they were biological realities. Transgender culture errs in that it treats biological sex as if it were merely a cultural expression. In the effort to liberate people from restrictive gender identities, they've sought to abolish biological sexual difference altogether. And this is where we get the language of um, that one's biological sex is something that is assigned to us at birth. It's something that somebody has imposed upon us. Sex, then, is not a biological reality grounded in our bodies, but just another cultural construct from which we can be emancipated. But from a biological perspective and a biblical perspective, sex as male and female is not a construct. It is central to being embodied creatures made in God's image. <clears throat> but what does sex difference count for then? In the light of my questioning of the whole category of gender, I just want to say, you should just question the whole category of gender. Put it in quotation marks, set it aside. It's a very problematic category. But what does it mean, then, to talk about the content of male and female? What difference does it make? To begin with, the two-ness of the sexes, male and female, is central to how God has chosen to image himself in the world. Um, the man alone cannot image God. The woman alone cannot image God. And this doesn't mean that, that we lack full dignity as image bearers, as single people, or alone as male or female. But without the opposite sex, we cannot fulfill the joint task, tasks that God has given us to be fruitful, to multiply, to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Without to, male and female together, we cannot do these things. And here it's important, I wanna make a connection between the dynamic two-ness and creative interaction of male and female and God's own triune nature as the creator. Remember, God is not a solitary being. God is Trinity. God is three persons in one nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, in Genesis 1.26, it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, even though the, the writer of Genesis does not have the Trinity in mind here, in, in, in the sense that there is no concept of the Trinity, the early church fathers and the reformers 
interpret this as, as a foreshadowing of the Holy Trinity, and I think that's right. God is a relational God, a relational being in which there is, there is identity of nature, of substance, and yet ineradicable difference of persons. And, and this identity and difference in, in God's very life and nature is mirrored, not in a, in a one-to-one, but in an analogous way, between male and female as joint image bearers of God. This is important. This is, we're, what we're saying about male and female isn't just, again, it, it goes back to the very heart of who God is. See, the problem with both traditional and progressive accounts of sex and gender is a tendency to isolate our definition of male and female and to abstract it um, and define it separate from the other. Right? So somehow you can know what it means to be a woman or what it means to be a man in isolation. But that's not how the Bible understands it. The biblical understanding is that there's an interdependence, an interdependence of the sexes, a necessary mutuality of, of knowing and being known. Um, male and female are only definable in relation to one another. This is why it's so hard to be gender stereotyped because, again, it's to sort of abstract it from that dynamic mutuality and interaction of male and female together. Male and female are only definable in relation to one another. You don't know yourself as a man without a woman. You do not know yourself as a woman without a man. And this refers not just to the the husband-wife relationship. It refers to all of the variety of formative opposite-sex relationships that define us, right? Mothers and sons, fathers and daughters, brothers and sisters, grandpa and granddaughter, nephew and aunt, right? There's all kinds of relationships, of opposite-sex relationships that we have that define us and help us to understand who we are as human beings. The originally, originally, the woman comes from the man, right? Isn't that interesting? That the woman comes from the man. It's almost like Adam once, just once, gives birth to the woman. But subsequently, every time else, the woman, the man comes from the woman. Paul says, in the Lord, a woman is not independent of the man, and the man is not independent of the woman. Again, there's this, this dynamic interdependence on display. And you see this even in the creation uh, story itself, when the woman is taken from the side of the man. Prior to creation, the woman, it's, it says, prior to the creation, there's no fit helper for Adam, right? Adam, he knows and he names all the animals, but they cannot know him, they cannot understand him, which means he, they can't help him, right? And this is what it means to be alone in the world. To be alone in the world is, to, is that no one knows you. That's what it means to be alone in the world, that no one knows you, no one can know you. And so when God creates the woman from the side of the man, the man has this kind of awakening, right? This new knowledge of himself as a man in the world. This, at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In the face of the other, the one who is like me but not me, I discover something about myself, something I never knew about myself. No man or woman can be fully themselves alone. 
there's always another way of being human that is inaccessible to us. <laughs> and it's that fact, right, as, as a man, being a woman is inaccessible to me. And as, as a woman, being, inex- being a man is inaccessible to you. And it's precisely in that deep difference as we come together that there is this unique knowledge and understanding of ourselves. As one commentator put it, in sexual difference, what we see is the, the affirmation of diversity that coexists along perfect, perfect equality. It is the affirmation of diversity which coexists next to perfect equality. And it is precisely this affirmation of diversity alongside perfect equality that becomes the basis of intimate bonding in marriage. The suitable helper that, that the man finds in the woman is like the opposite him, one that complements his nature. And so we, we sexual complementarity of male and female is the basis of bonding in the biblical understanding, right? This complementarity of relationship is reflected in the very structure of human bodies, right? They fit together. They fit together. The body of the man and the woman fit together, and in the joining of their anatomy, literally, sexual communion, there is an intimacy, and then there is this potential to create new life. And you see this dynamic interaction of complementary things throughout the creation and in the creation account. In the creation account, you have these pairs of opposites that are working complementary ways together, right? Heaven and earth, day and night, land and sea, God and humanity. God separates, God divides, God distinguishes things, and he brings them back into relationship to one another. Um, summarizing something that N.T. Wright says, he says, the beauty and the brilliance of God's creation is that diverse, unlike things are made to unite and create dynamic wholes, which generate more and more life and beauty through their relationships. The uniting of male and female is the climax of this. The difference between male and female is the basis of a unique bonding of relationship within marriage, but also from that union of sexual difference comes fruitfulness, the gift of children. There is no possibility for the creation of new life without this complementary sexual union of male and female. Sexual difference is the foundation of every civilization and at the root of all human history. Without sexual difference of male and female, human civilization would cease to exist because children would cease to exist. Now, this interconnection between sexual difference, image bearing, and human history, it's, it actually comes up again in Genesis 5. The very beginning of Genesis 5. This is the book of the generations, the history. The generations of Adam, when God created man, He made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them. Man when when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his own image, and named him Seth. And then it goes on. Many, many uh, lines of, of, of genealogy. See, history is nothing less than a vast and complex genealogy 
of human families, mothers and fathers and children and grandparents. And God blesses the relationship of male and female precisely towards this, this fruitfulness, this filling of the earth. Again, a part of our challenge today, as we think about these topics of male and female, is that we as a culture have systematically disconnected our thinking about sexuality from God's command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fruitfulness is no longer part of our thinking about sexuality. We've, we've, we have rigorously bracketed that out. And so it's not surprising that the importance of sexual difference drops out of our understanding when as a culture we regard bringing new life into the world as merely optional expression of human sexuality. Our culture, it seems intent in its desire to exclude responsibility and openness to children as a necessary consequence of, of being sexual beings. And, and let me be clear, I'm not saying that by, by <laughs> is, is that you can reduce all of sexuality to procreation, I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that if you're married and you don't have children, that, that your marriage is a failure. But to exclude responsibility and openness to new life, to children, um, just deeply, more deeply alienates us from our own sex bodies. There is no culture and there is no civilization that can survive for very long when it systematically abolishes in its thinking, the distinction between male and female. Now, <clears throat> I realize that I have said enough here to, perf to offend pretty much everybody. That, <laughs> it's hard not to do that. And I know this sermon has raised probably a whole bunch of questions that I haven't been able to address. But I, I just wanna close with a couple important observations. And, and the first is this, that we experience um, sexual difference under the curse. We don't experience it as if we are living in Genesis 1 and 2. We experience it under the curse. Um, the creation remains good. Um, being male and female is what God designed and what God in new creation will eventually in a mysterious way restore in us. But we live under the curse because of sin. And so we must consider how the fall and sin has impacted our experience of being men and women and God's still good creation. And in particular, it's important to recognize that God singles out sexual difference itself as something that is under the curse. And if you recall from Genesis 3, God says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. And rule means, uh, is, is not <laughs> it, to oppress you. These are not statements about how things ought to be, but of how things will be because of the curse and because of sin. Now, we do not experience our body as male and female as they are originally given in the creation. They're broken. We don't experience our relationship between one another as men and women um, the way it was meant to be. Instead of peace and harmony and mutual understanding, often there is conflict and strife and oppression and abuse. 
most of the time, of men over women. And sometimes because of the curse, we do not feel at home in our bodies as male or female. And sometimes as a result of the curse, we're unable to marry or we're unable to bear children. These realities do not cancel out the goodness of creation, but things don't work the way they're supposed to work, right? They don't work the way they're supposed to work. And here's where I just want to close in saying this very clearly. Your wholeness as a human being, as a man or as a woman, your salvation does not depend on you trying to recapture and live up to some ideal of creation. You don't find yourself as a man by striving to be a man and finding masculinity. You don't find yourself as a woman by trying to find some feminine ideal. You don't, as a single person, become a full person by getting married. Our wholeness and our salvation as persons through uh, whether we are married or single, male or female, is only found in Jesus Christ. Men and women are different. This is a good thing that we should affirm, but we do not secure our worth and our identity by chasing after being a man or a woman, some gender ideal, or even by trying to deconstruct our current gender and find the one that fits us. It is not through union with a husband or a wife that you are saved. It is only union with Jesus Christ. We become complete and become whole persons, men and women, only in Jesus Christ, only in him is our identity and our worth upheld and secured. And only in him is the good of created order restored and healed in us. Let's pray. Father, these are, are difficult and weighty matters for us. And um, we do pray for your help. We need uh, you to be our helpmate, Lord. <laughs> just in the same way you were to Israel and the way that, that Eve was to Adam. Uh, we need your supernatural help as we make our way through um, our culture, which there's so much conflict and acrimony um, over these issues. Um, there's so much pain in people who struggle with gender identity. Um, Lord, give us wisdom and grace and, and clear conviction as um, those created in your image, knowing, Lord, that you love us not because of how well we reflect some perfect ideal, but uh, you love us because of your Son, in whom we find our life and our salvation. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.